Welcome to the After the Sermon Ends podcast. This podcast is a resource of City Church Gainesville, hosted by myself, Josh Richards, and lead pastor of City Church, Marcus Donaldson. This podcast was started to dive deeper into the topics preached about on Sunday mornings and equip members of City Church and other listeners to grow in their knowledge and love for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Today, we are releasing episode 100 of this podcast, and we are releasing this episode on February 7th, 2023, which also happens to be the exact day of the founding of City Church seven years ago. To celebrate this momentous occasion, we are releasing a very special edition of After the Sermon Ends, an oral history of City Church. Over the course of the last two months, I have interviewed multiple people who were crucial in the founding and development of this church. This congregation of people from the heart of Gainesville has walked a very difficult road in building a church and stewarding a people to be a light for Christ in this city, a place where everyone is welcome because no one is perfect. It has been my honor to hear their stories and learn from the lessons they learned along the way. And it is my amazing privilege to share their stories with you as well. One theme kept coming up throughout this process, and it was that God has a plan for this particular church. None of us that has ever called City Church home can take any credit for the growth or even existence of this church, but it is only by the grace of God that he has provided for this local body. My first interview was with Taylor and Adam Keziah and they have been involved in this congregation for a very long time and are some of the most crucial individuals in the forming of City Church. So guys, I just wanted to start with your story. Like, How did you guys come to this church or this congregation of people? Because I'm, it's my understanding that you came before it was actually called City Church. Yeah, so in the early days of us living in Gainesville, of course, Taylor's from Gainesville, but we were married and living in Florida and then I took a job with the railroad and was traveling a lot. So we decided to move her here to be close to family. And uh, in the mean meantime, while we were moving, we were looking for a church. And we probably visited seven or eight different ones uh, before her sister at Bernal was telling us about a church that some of the kids were going to called yeah. Revolution Church. Mm-hmm which is actually, it was actually in the building that we are in now. And um, we didn't really find our place in all the other churches we visited around town. And we ended up at Revolution Church and kind of fell in love with it right off the bat. Adam and I come from a very different church background. Mm. He comes from a very conservative Presbyterian background. And I became a Christian in college in the height of like contemporary worship lights and smoke and all the things. So we were looking for a balance as a married couple of sound preaching, sound doctrine, and still, you know, worship that I could relate to because I wasn't, I didn't grow up knowing those hymns and those kind of things. So we visited a lot of church churches. Um, and primarily we just didn't feel welcome we didn't know a lot of people even though i was from gainesville my family was here i had been out of gainesville for a long time six years maybe at that point Uh and really didn't have any contemporary friends our age and i remember walking into several churches and just no one even talked to us and we were just kind of like what are we gonna do Mm -hmm. like we believe we're supposed to be in church together as a married couple we had a young son at the time so looking for kids ministry crazy enough back at Revo um 
Jordan and Courtney Koschel, who are still with us today, were the kids directors at Revolution wow. Church. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. I remember our first Sunday, they... Kelly Sloan greeted us. Kelly greeted us, but <laughs> um, Courtney said, hey, Walt. Like, she knew Walt because her brother and my sister worked together, and she yeah. had seen Facebook pictures, and it was so crazy. We were like, what? You know our kid? Um, but just instantly welcomed. We definitely... Um, just felt like we found community right mm-hmm. away. So yeah, it was kind of crazy. We we never left after that Sunday. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you talk about like being greeted and feeling <laughs> like you you fit in like pretty pretty immediately. But what else like drew you guys in and like led you to get more involved at that church? It was that that organic atmosphere. Everybody was serving everywhere, doing something. You know, it wasn't like one person was doing the same job every week. You. You know, you got greeted by pretty much everybody that that walked in the door, and there were probably a hundred members at that time uh, coming to Revo, and I, it was almost to the point where they were going to do two services when we started going there, and that was just before um, we partnered with Mountain Lake Church, mm-hmm. and um, I, I can just tell you that the love and support we found found right away from the congregation is what really drew us in to that. And, and we felt in a community. And I do remember the first time that I saw the Kazayas walk through the door because I was on the greeting team and you know, you don't know who's going to last forever, but there they were. This next voice you hear is Kelly Sloan. She joined Revolution Church before the Kazayas were there and has been a part of this body through its entire evolution. This church God has a plan regardless. And he brought the church through so much, but it was through young people. It was through young people chasing after God who wanted to do something a little bit different. The crazy part of how I found them, Revolution existed in Shad Treadaway's home in Dawsonville, Georgia. I don't live in Dawsonville, Georgia. I don't know Shad Treadaway. He was a builder that decided, you know, that he wanted to create a little bit different of a church. So while he's building homes, he starts a church and things like that. And it was all 20-somethings young people who were, no, we want to do more than a Bible study. And that's amazing that God could bring, because you don't traditionally have money when you have young people and they got, you know, their feet on the ground. And it ended up being in Gainesville, exactly where we are. The building that we're in right now, it used to be called Mule Camp Springs, because Gainesville used to be called Mule Camp Springs. And that was the train uh, depot where they would drop off all the feed. And that it's just amazing how old that building is. But that's where Revolution like opened its doors. And I um, was at Lakeshore Mall. Who goes to Lakeshore Mall? And I came out of the store to my car and there was a flyer on my car window. And you think those things never work. And I had already heard of two names that were plugged into this church that I thought a lot of them... And I was looking for a place. I'm born and raised in Gainesville, was very much a part of a church, but I ended up being the only single at my church. Mm-hmm. Everybody else married younger and, you know, yeah. and I was like, where's my place, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was looking for a place. And so I came by a flyer and I walked in to exactly where we are right now, um, downtown Gainesville, and it was all young people on fire for God. And it was awesome. Um, Shad, Shad Tradaway was the first pastor, and he was very charismatic. Yeah. Um, he taught more theme-based, whereas today we 
teach through the scripture, which I do love. Yeah. But um, it was amazing. And maybe people in this community know the name Adam Kirsch, but he was leading worship. And I always told Adam his voice was like butter mm-hmm. and that he would not stay long. And sure enough, God had plans for all these people. Adam ended up going to a larger church. I think he's been brought back now to the Gainesville area. But um, Shad just really somehow led that young believer church to just take off. But before you knew it, this, I called it a mega church, not really a mega church, <laughs> but this large church in Dawsonville called on to who we were and they were doing church plants around in different areas. So Mountain Lake just said, Hey, you don't have the finances that we have. We want to come in alongside you. We're just going to change your name. And Chad took that under. Yeah. We still had Chad preaching. Um, we outgrew that very fast, uh, mm-hmm. the space that we were in. And so we went to the Mountain Center Theater. I don't know if you've ever been there for like a play or anything. It's pretty small, but we did set up tear down in the Mountain uh, Lake Theater. Yeah. That's when I remember the Koshals, Courtney and Jordan did not have children, but they decided we're going to be over all children's. And those people wow. <laughs> set up tear down kids in the ballroom of the Mountain Center. But the Koshals came around and were, I mean, they worked their butts off in kids. And I can remember watching them going, no. I began being over the greeting team when we were at um, the Mountain Center. And before you knew it, we were so big, we had to move to the movie theater. Now, I'm going to be honest, I think that's the grossest thing in the world (laughs) because we had different theaters there in Gainesville. The kids of different ages were in different theaters. Oh, my OCD and germs were taking (laughs) over. And then, um, obviously, we had a theater but we were Mountain Lake, and we were doing great. And then Chad got called by another church and yeah. left us for Florida. And you're like, what are we doing? But that's where God had a plan that we were already a part of Mountain Lake. They brought in uh, Nathan Castleberry, and he was phenomenal. Like young, uh, like I can't even remember how young he was. No children yet, newly married, and it was just a fresh face. And we grew and grew. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We weren't at Re- we were at Revo maybe six months six months before it was going to merge with Mountain Lake, right. and so they kind of formed a launch team. We were going to move locations. We were going to become a campus church of Mountain Lake Church. We were moving over to the Mountain Center at that time. There is no more Mountain Center, but it used to be the Mountain Center, yeah. and so we were part of that. Adam was gone a lot at that time, so I was a single mom kind of at home most of the week. So I had time on my hands to be able to really dive in. So I was, you know, kind of helping with how are we going to store things and where were we going to, how are we setting it up to feel welcoming in like an amphitheater, um, something that wasn't our permanent church building. I remember handing out flyers in the parking lot of the mall and Chick-fil-A and various things like that. So I got plugged in kind of right away, just almost out of necessity because I was alone. But then um, Adam and I together, really when we were, when we moved to the movie theater, when we became Mountain Lake at the movie theater, um, I became in charge of first impressions sort of right away. um, And Adam was on setup and teardown team and we volunteered in kids. And yeah, I remember our pastor at the time just asking me if I could be in charge of volunteer coordination. And so we were kind of always on the ground level really from the beginning which was a really cool experience because something about being on that side of town, you meet a whole different set of people. And a lot yeah. of those people are still with us today that were with us at the movie theater. So very cool. Yeah. We dove right in. Yeah. And I was going to say the the single biggest factor for me was 
taking a job back home where I was home every night. Yeah. And that allowed me to plug in and, and be a real part of it. Taylor had already started making some roots while I was out traveling from Sunday afternoon to Thursday and Fridays every week. But then when I changed jobs and I was able to be here and be a part of Wednesday nights and be a part of everything on Sundays, and that's when I really got involved with it. This next interview is with Amy and Todd Sutherland. They joined the church on the very first Sunday as Mountain Lake and have been here ever since. So uh, Amy and I, before Mountain Lake Gainesville, uh, we went to a very, very small church here in the city limits of Gainesville. I'm going to say that we averaged... 15 on a Sunday and it, it was mostly family and really close friends and the family that we were in church with uh, were missionaries to I guess it's uh, Eastern Europe the Russia area yeah. and they just became so busy with going back and forth to the mission field that we kind of didn't have enough people to have Sunday services so we kind of just disbanded but on a good note and said let's just all go find good churches to to be right. part of well, uh, Amy and I were uh, just didn't know what we were going to do. And uh, one day, at just literally the actual week that that church was closing, we, we didn't have a clue what we were going to do. And I went to the mailbox and opened it up, and there was a flyer in my mailbox that said, come to our first service, Mountain Lake Gainesville. And uh, I just walked inside and laughed and thought, well, maybe this is, you know, God put this here. Right. So I showed it to Amy and to my dad, and they're like, well, let's just go. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Amy couldn't go because I think she we were she was watching Will, who was like less than six months old at this wow. time. Yeah, he was a little baby. So it was right after. It was actually the Christmas Eve service um, was the first service, and we had already done a Christmas with family, and yeah. the kids were exhausted. Ellie was like, three and will was six months and yeah so it was nap time for those so days. me and me and dad just said well let's just go and so we just loaded up and went to the service and uh man first of all it was a really great service and i'll never forget one thing that the pastor then shad who actually was a friend of mine that i had known since college but i had forgotten about him and yeah. hadn't seen him in years and didn't really recognize him mm-hmm. from the stage but I remember in that very first service, which was the first service, one thing he said was, if if this is your first time here and you don't know us, I just want to look at you in the eye and I want to say, welcome home. And I never forgot that because wow. he was right. He didn't know it, but he was right mm-hmm. because not so much Mountain Lake Gainesville, but the, those people we're, we're still with. That was, uh, what, nine years ago? Yeah, this last month, nine years ago. Because yeah. Will's nine and a half, and he was less than six months, about six months. Mm-hmm. So Shad said that, and the the image that he had in his mind wasn't at all what we are now. Right. But he was still right, because we're still with so many of those people, and that was the literal first time I met any of them. Absolutely. And Todd came home uh, from that service and his, I guess his dad dropped him off or I don't even remember all the details, but he walked in and he was like, oh yeah, you're going to love it. We're going next Sunday. And that was it. It was, we just started and never quit. So thinking back on your time at Mountain Lake, like what were some of the the big highlights like going forward from you joining? Well, Amy and I had, my story is, our story together pretty much is, I graduated from Bible college in 2001, and in 2003, we got married, and 
instantly went into uh, being youth pastors at the church that I grew up in, mm. to say the least. We were overzealous, and we were not spiritually mature enough at the time. And we really got frustrated, mm. and we ended up parting on bad terms from that church. Right. And we ended up spending, I'm going to say, four years completely angry and out of church. We, we rarely went to church for four years and definitely were not involved in a church in the way we should be. Mm-hmm. So when we found Mountain Lake— we jumped in with both feet. We were very, very excited to once again be in a place where we felt like we could serve and that we fit in Mm -hmm. because we had reluctantly needed that for the last four or five years, but had been pushing it away. Yeah. Yeah. I sang, um, and, uh, but no keys or anything like that because yeah. they already had so many established people in their whole, you know, cause they had a full band yeah. and then yeah, Todd played guitar. We had tried our hand at a Christian band before that, which <laughs> people that know us will be laughing hysterically right now because we were pretty bad, but we, but we really enjoyed it and we made a go of it until our kids started being born. Uh, I guess specifically Ellie. Yeah. Well, after Ellie was born and a few months old, we kind of gave, gave it up. We just didn't have time to practice, mm-hmm. but, um, we, we missed that uh, after that other church was closing and we didn't have any, any outlet for that. So when we got involved in Mountain Lake, we were very excited to get back into the, into that part of the ministry. And now we're, you know, we're still doing it. So what about Mountain Lake led you guys to stay, get more involved, volunteer more, you know, coming from your other church backgrounds? I feel like we were trying to make a lasting impact in our community. It was, and then, okay, we had we had to set up and tear down our church every Sunday morning for year. We did it for years. We wow. had trailers and trucks, and we would arrive at six a.m. and we would work feverishly until about seven thirty to get the church set up, and then we would practice music. Wow. Then we would have the service. Then we would stay another hour and a half and work feverishly and tear it all down back into the trucks. And go home. So sometimes we would be at church from 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. And believe me when I say we came home and crashed. We were, I mean, just dead mm-hmm. after that. That was a lot, a lot to happen in those hours. And and we weren't mad about it. It was, it was what God had for us, and it's what got us here. But it was a lot. It was a right. lot of volunteer work. Um, we started in um, pretty early on in like a life group and it was just random. We just put our names on a list and said, you know, we have two kids and, you know, whatever, just check the boxes. And we got put in um, just this random small group with people that we didn't know yeah. uh, because almost everybody was new. And so we just made some lasting friendships that morphed into Todd leading a small group Kaziah's joined because Taylor, I think at that point was leading a women's group and yep. said, I need to go somewhere that, you know, when Adam's home, cause he was working out of town then, but mm-hmm. somewhere that I can go where the kids can play. Cause Walt was around. Um, and so she said, can I join your group? I think your name's Amy. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can <laughs> join my group. Sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was just from then on, it was just glue. Mm-hmm. you know, that kept us together and kept us at Mountain Lake at that time. Right. Yeah, come come to think of it, that's a good point because our our small group grew to be, I think our high was 35 people. Yeah, we eventually started calling wow. it our large group. And, and we were uh, meeting in homes and that was adults. It was, it was insane. It was crazy. Sometimes the children actually outnumbered the adults in the but, room too. 
but we still have lasting friendships and out, you know, far reaching effect mm-hmm. that is even hitting us today from that original large group that we had at Mountain Lake. Gainesville. We tried to split it a couple of times and it just ended up being like, nope, let's all just do it together again. You know, so that was that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I want to transition a little bit more towards the transition with Mountain Lake leaving. What what happened with that? And like, what was the reaction from from the congregation there? Well, what happened is um, we we were we were living like a really large church on a on a small church budget. Yeah, and uh, we were. Have you heard the the adage? You know, dress for the job you want. That that's yep. kind of what we were doing as a church. We were. I don't want to say living beyond our means, but we were pushing it. We were we were getting big fast, mm-hmm. and uh, that's expensive. And we just the amount of money it was costing to do what we were doing wasn't financially viable to keep going. It just, it couldn't be done. Yeah. And, uh, the, I guess you'd say the top brass at the, at the overall mountain lake decided it would be better just to close the doors. And, uh, we weren't necessarily involved in that decision. We were just told that that's what was going to happen. And that's where the fun begins because, we were actually really good friends with the pastor that we had then of yeah. our local church. His name was Nathan Castleberry, uh-huh. great guy. But uh, but Nathan came into our house. So we actually met at, at my and Amy's house. With it was the original CLT. So uh, anyway, he came in and we could tell something was wrong. And he said, "Guys, I have bad news. Two Sundays from now is our last Sunday. They're closing our doors." Wow. And we said, "Why?" You know. And he kind of explained what I just explained about mm-hmm. all that. And and it's not like we could have a rebuttal. It was, okay, this is what's happening. And so we went through the gamut of emotions. We got mad. We, you know, we came to terms. We yeah. started saying, all right, we need to make a plan. Uh-huh. And, you know, we thought about it. We prayed about it. We came to the conclusion that these people, and I say these people, there was probably 75-ish people that were meeting together every Sunday right. faithfully for, I keep trying to say City Church, but Mountain Lake Gainesville. Yeah. And... We, did, we came to the conclusion that all of us need somewhere to go because, you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so what we decided to do was try to keep this same group of people together and just morph into a new system into right. a, and, and create, you know, create something special for this group of people yeah. specifically. And we were going to try to keep it fairly the same, but on a small, you know, kind of mm-hmm. on a smaller budget. And I'll be honest, Mountain Lake was fantastic. They had their own issues within the church and had to change pastors. And that pastor, he showed up one day, and he was the head pastor, and he didn't speak to anyone. And he just kind of lingered, and we were like, this isn't normal, you know. So we saw it coming, and I think he did what anyone had to do is he had to look at his flock and go, I need to protect the root flock Mm -hmm. because of what that church went through. And while it was shocking for us, we got like a two-week notice that they were pulling their finances and their name from us. People stepped up, and the Kaziahs were the absolute leaders of that. They were like, we have seen so, so many new believers because of this congregation, this group of believers. Yeah. We can't abandon them. And so after church, they just we were in the theater. They said, if you're interested in trying to continue meet us in a different theater. And I'm telling you, it was a huge group of us that just walked from one movie theater right across the hall to another movie theater. And they're like, we don't know how. We don't know how. Wow. But who's in? That was a tough season. I remember probably one of the toughest we've been through as a 
married couple in our spiritual walk. Um, by that point, we were both serving on the leadership team, the lay leadership team at the campus level. Um, we were kind of going to some meetings up at the main campus, but we were very much kept out of the loop of the uh, less operational side of church, which come to find out is quite important. We now know. Um, but once they announced, so we, we got the news first that they were going to announce. And of course, all of us were shocked and devastated and had lots of questions. So our very first move after that was we actually held a breakfast at our house and had the pastor at the time come there for breakfast. And at that time I had a list of questions. I mean, it was like two pages long that we had all compiled. It was primarily our small group, our young adults, young married Mm -hmm. small group. And we kind of drilled him with questions. Like we want to understand who, who prayed through this, who makes these decisions. How did this come to be the why behind the what? And that was a very emotional meeting. And we all, that was at 10 a.m. maybe. And I think we didn't leave each other for, like just to go home and go to bed and then came back together the next day. Like we were just kind of mourning together, processing together. Our kids were running crazy much younger than they are now, but we just kind of wrestled together. I don't know that we left with any conclusion that day, but we left like, Lord, like you've got to meet us where we are right here because we don't know what to do next. So, Yeah, take me into that one a little bit. Like, what led you guys to that decision of, like, that this group of people kind of needed to stick together? Like, why not, like, from the old church, split into different churches? That's actually a really great question, and I'll tell you why. Because we had a lot of people who specifically, Mountain Lake, Gainesville, had changed their life. Like, the gospel being preached there and the community there, had it had literally changed their life. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at these gr- this group of people and we started naming names, we thought, oh, my goodness, it is our duty to keep these people together and continue that community. And, and that's, that's really why we did it, because we honestly thought, well, I mean, there's all these churches that are fairly aligned to what we are, and we can all just kind of yeah. you know, pick one and go to it or whatever. But the reason we didn't do that is because we looked at the, at the list of people that the church had reached and realized the support that they need ongoing and how we specifically could fill that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it was just like, we want to stay together. Yeah. We, we like what we have. We were growing. We, you know, as a result of that small group being a large group, mm-hmm. um, we were growing and none of us wanted to, you know, well, I like this church, but they like this church. So do we go with them or do we go to the other people? You know? And so we were like, why don't we just stay together? Yeah. And so, yeah, we just sat down. I think that week that was an, everything was announced. We probably were with each other. Like that core group of families was with each other every single day. Like it wasn't morning. It yeah. um, it really was like we would, if we were alone too long, we were like, come over somebody, where, whose house are we going to? Yeah. I mean, we just sat around and talked and really just kind of figured out, okay, we really do want to stay together for those people. We kind of sat around the room and we're like, this isn't enough time. The consensus was, this is not enough time to shepherd our people. Well, let's gather together for 90 days and help everybody process, grieve, 
answer questions. Unfortunately, we weren't getting a lot of support from the main campus to be present through that process. So we felt like as leaders, we needed to help. If we had this many questions, what do our people think? And so we committed to 90 days, which is crazy to think about seven years because truly in our mind, it was 90 days. I remember specifically tearing little pieces of sticky notes and passing it around and everybody committing to what they could give for the next 90 days. Could we afford to rent a building? <laughs> Um, a rent a room somewhere because our living rooms weren't big enough and we put it all in a bucket and I added it up in a back bedroom all anonymous and was like I think we can afford a room so we we rented a room at the Gainesville Civic Center Mm -hmm. and yeah we made a really awful flyer decided we were going to call ourselves City Church and honestly looking back at that the Lord obviously knew and had such plans because we were all saying we were going to meet together for 90 days, and yet we were putting out a name of a church. So it was like, yeah. I don't think we even realized what we were heading down. Like, we honest, why did we call ourselves a church? We were just going to meet together for 90 days. Very crazy to look back at that season. But, yeah, we, we printed a real ugly banner and a real ugly logo. <laughs> and we, I remember that launch Sunday. We stood, up, stood outside the Civic Center and took a picture, and so many of those people are still with us today. It was just kind of crazy, kind of crazy. So by the end of that week, as Amy said, we're all meeting. We we figured out that we have to, we're going to have to pay to go somewhere. We're going to have to have some kind of money to make this work, or it's just not possible. We can't meet in each other's houses. That that's not that's not growable. You know, it's not scalable. Right. So we, the four or five core families that all started this church together we just came up with this solution that, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a budget of like however many thousands of dollars it's going to take that we figure we can literally open the bare minimum of what we're going to call a church. Yeah. And then we all said, all right, we're going to get this bowl and we're going to take pieces of paper and we're going to write a number on them. We're going to fold that piece of paper up. It's going to be anonymous and we're going to drop it in the bowl. Yeah. But we all promise that whatever number we write on that paper, we will give for the first year every month Mm -hmm. that we promise. We're like, this is what we're committing. So we came up with the number of what we needed. And then we all did that. I guess it was four or five families. I'm trying to remember exactly who it was. I don't want to start naming a bunch of names. Right. Yeah. But it ended up being exactly or very close to the number we came up with. And so we were, that was very encouraging. We were like, well, we can, we can do this yeah." because um, we were willing to put some skin in the game is what mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, and uh, it, it really worked out well. Uh, Taylor said, all right, I'll, I'll pull together uh, a lot of this logistical stuff, Todd, and you find us somewhere to meet. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> and so I, I was talking to Amy and, and I'm like, where should, what should we do? And she said, well, you know, uh, a lot of the realtor events that we that we do, we rent the bottom of the Civic Center. Not the top, not the humongous ballroom, mm-hmm. but the bottom. It just has a few rooms and some classrooms, and, and it's much cheaper. And she's like, why don't you just call them? And so I called down. I called them, and I said, look, here's our situation. Is you think there's anything we could do, like work out a, a monthly payment and just meet only Sunday mornings, however many Sunday mornings there are in a month? in that given month. And they called me back and said, yeah, I think we can do this right here. 
and it was within our budget. It re- wow. honestly, it was affordable, and uh, it just worked out perfectly. Yeah, that was the fastest two weeks of my life. I can tell you that because we we went to church on a Sunday. We had that <laughs> leadership team meeting on Monday night, mm-hmm. where they told us they were closing the campus in two weeks. The following weekend, we had the group meeting with the pastor at the time and tried to figure out questions. Yeah. Then the next week was the last Sunday, and it it happened so fast. But the Lord saw us through that and saw us through 90 days, and we got to 90 days, and we were like, we're past 90 days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, there was some – there was some touch and go moments, you know, we, we got to about a hundred days or I don't know, six months or whatever, whatever that turns into being. And the, um, civic center where we were renting calls Taylor and says, uh, we don't have a room for y'all to meet next Sunday. She's like, you mean for next Sunday? She's like, no, for the rest of the year, mm-hmm. like we're booked up for the rest of the year. Wow. So we went in panic mode again, and that's where the Boys and Girls Club came into play. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the Lord just provided a space, and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and it Well, de- that's when the real work started. So that, that first season at the Civic Center, you know, they had chairs for us. Like, we had to bring in our, our band equipment and a little bit of pipe and drape, but nothing like what we were about to step into yeah. when we moved to the Boys and Girls Club. And so we entered into... I had just had my second baby. I'll never forget because that was like right around launch at the Boys and Girls Club. And that's when we really rubber hit the road. It was like, are we going to do this? Because we had to get a trailer. We had to get all kinds of equipment. We had to buy chairs. We had to do. I mean, we were meeting in a a teen center, for lack of a better word. Um, So it was it was interesting for sure no nothing lights and sound and anything like you see today but it was set up every Sunday I'll, I'll never forget watching those men specifically Adam included and Todd and you know just the whole group of them that showed up at gosh five in the morning pulling that trailer they would take a rotation pull in that trailer every Sunday we set up like mobile kid classrooms with little baby gates and it was something else, but I'll tell you, like, that was a sweet season yeah. in in the life of our church of just doing it together. Like, we were doing life with these people. Half the time we were with them Friday, Saturday night and set up on Sunday and go home. And it was a, it was a really, it was just a sweet season of the Lord's hand. And honestly, without the Lord's sustaining provision, I don't know how we made it through that. There were some Sundays where it was like, is this all that's showing up for setup? How are we going to do this? Right. Like, yeah. it was just interesting. And somebody would bring a bag of biscuits for everybody. And, you know, it was just a, it was a sweet, sweet season. Not at all where we needed to be in terms of church. We didn't have anything planned out. We, our leadership structure was barely off the ground we had no elders yeah we had kind of a temporary pastor we by the grace of the lord there was a worship ben and mary who we can't fail to mention who really stepped up um, had just come back from the mission field stepped right into being our worship leaders it was just a crazy season everything just kind of kept falling into place um and regularly adam and i would look at each other and be like what are we doing 
wait, do we, do we run a church? Like what, <laughs> what's happening? And I was making bank accounts. Yeah. And it was just, it was a crazy, crazy season, but it felt a lot like the church of acts. Like it felt a lot right. like we're just going to do life together. And if we, all of us, I remember distinctively sitting in my living room when we brought in kind of a bigger group, not just the core leadership, but kind of who was going to be the core congregation. We all kind of sat around and looked at each other and said, if this is all it ever is, if it's all, if it's only just this amount of people that fit in my living room, is this enough? And we all just kind of collectively said, yes, like if this if this is it, if this is all we ever have in this room, but we're seeking the Lord together, we'll be happy. And that's what kind of happened. But it's obviously grown since then. Praise yeah. the Lord. Yeah, speaking of growing, I look back on that time now, and I thank the Lord for loving me through that. Yeah. Because there were definitely days in that setup, teardown, where I was angry. I was grumpy. I was tired, didn't want to get out of bed. And I did it anyway, but not on my own will. You know, the Lord was compelling me to do it, and I can see that now. Back then, I was just mad. <laughs> but, you know, especially on the on the days when it would rain while we were in service. Oh, yeah. And we had been there since 6 already, setting up. And then it took us till three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon to get packed out when it usually takes us an hour Yeah, um, because of the rain. And um, anyway, it, it has just been an amazing journey to look back on and see where we've come from to where he's brought us to today. One of the most powerful things was to see young men, and many of them were having children, so we're talking infants and toddlers, get up at 5 a.m. and go to a storage center and get the trailer and get to either the Civic Center and then the Boys and Girls Club and do all the physical work. It was not easy. And these men knew not only are we setting up for church, we're going to sit through church, and then we're going to do teardown. Yeah. Week after week after week. And you know how your weekend you want to sleep in. You want to rest. Sunday is supposed to be a day of rest. And anytime that I had like a bad attitude, um, I don't drink coffee. And that's a little weird subject on me. I've made coffee for years for church when I don't even drink it. So I'm always like, <laughs> it's got to be terrible because I don't know what I'm doing. But it became one of those things that I just had a bad attitude toward. I did not want to get there early enough to make the dang coffee. Um, I tell you, Ronnie has been a saint at like, Kelly, I got the coffee. I'm like, oh, thank you very yeah. much. Because um, God, I, I think Satan started to use that. All right, Kelly, are you going to make coffee for others? Or are you going to have a selfish attitude and not make your coffee? But seeing the selflessness of people was amazing. There's been times when people financially, they hit hard times. And we're not a church that you should be able to call and get financial help. And out of nowhere, financial help show up. So God has blessed in unbelievable ways. Financially, there's been miracle after miracle mm. to keep us afloat. Um, but really, just the selflessness of so many people. We've always called a CLT, church leadership team, the time. I mean, we would sit in the Kaziah's uh, dining room, sometimes four and five hours. It'd be 11 o'clock, and I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I've got to teach tomorrow. But it meant something. It was worth it, you know. And I knew that even when I left, because I had to drive to the south end of the county, a lot of those who lived in Gainesville just sat there and continued, all right, what if we did this? Or what can we do about this? Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of sleep loss mm. by some 
core people that really wanted to protect this congregation. Yeah, for sure. So you said like the original intention was just to shepherd the flock for the first 90 days after Mountain Lake left. So like when did y'all start getting the idea? It's like, okay, I can, we can continue this and we can actually make this a church. <laughs> well, we, we, we never really thought about that. Yeah. It just kept happening. And the whole intention was to, to give everybody a soft place to land until they could find another church home. And the other church home they found was City Church. That it never quit from there. We just kept going and we kept going and we never thought about ninety days. And here we are. I until we started talking about that this morning, I, I didn't realize we're twenty five hundred days in. Yeah. You know? Wow. Those ninety days have turned into twenty five hundred. <laughs> wow. And That's so incredible. uh it's it's amazing what the Lord will do with you if you allow yourself to be immersed in what he wants you to do. And, and I think we just kept in our in our brain like we are the church. Like it's not about a building or a name. And mm-hmm. so when we when we made it past that ninety days, we were like, Well, are we are we teaching the Bible? Are we worshiping the Lord? Are we gathering together in biblical community? We had a thriving small group ministry at that time and I think we just thought it would actually be irresponsible for us to not keep going at this point. And I mean, to be fully honest, we thought we can't bring more heartbreak. Like these people are just coming off of the heartbreak of their church home closing. We're going to close another one. I don't know. Clearly we didn't think through this well when we started, but the Lord had bigger plans. And we knew about that heart heartache because we were dealing with that ourselves, Right. And, and to imagine putting somebody else through that we we couldn't bear that yeah but i think the rubber met the road when the civic center said we don't have a place for you to meet and i think i remember us sitting in that leadership team meeting and going okay if there was a time to close this is the logical time this makes sense maybe this is the lord closing a door um it's kind of like are we in or are we out and if we're going to move and become a mobile church at a second location like this is the real deal, like whose name is on the bottom line kind of thing. So, yeah. um, and we all just had a piece about it. Like it was, the door just opened. I, I remember calling my grandfather um, and saying, Papa, we got to have a place to meet on Sunday. What, do you know anywhere? Where could we go? And within an hour, the Boys and Girls Club had called me. He had called in yeah. one of his friends and we were touring the facility that day. And it, anyway, just that so many doors opened that it just felt like it would be uh, wrong not to try. And there's been a couple crossroads like that in the life of City Church where collectively the Lord has given um, the same answer to everybody about we got to keep going, perseverance through the storm. So yeah, I to answer your question, that was kind of it. it. Was like, are we doing this thing? Are we moving our church? Are we a church? Are we move? If we're moving, we must be a church, right? right? Like, we just kind of hadn't thought about it. We'd just been an autopilot till then. So I think yeah. that was the real moment. So, like, what were those early years like? Like, who, like, who was the like, who was pastoring? Who yeah. was like speaking for y'all on Sundays? What was the the services like? Gosh, it's all kind of a blur now. But um, so Andrew Bearden was our first official pastor at yeah. City Church, and uh, he was one of those guys sitting in that leadership room where we were like, 
we called him on the phone. I remember Adam and Todd stepping out on the porch and saying, hey, man, will you preach for a few weeks? Again, 90 days was what we were thinking. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I could do that for 90 days. He had been with us at Mountain Lake and great guy. Um, Andrew did a lot for our church and really uh, casting vision. And, and, um, you know, that was a hard season to be having your first pastoral experience. Yeah. I think he was like 24 then. Yeah, young, so young. So um, we expected a lot out of him at a young age. And it caught him off guard as much as it caught us off guard that he was the option, the only option that we had really. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we didn't know anybody else that was open to taking that role. Neither of us felt qualified looking back at that with me and Todd. It's crazy. Being the ones that called him, you know. Maybe we've been elders all along and didn't know it, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but Todd and I stepped out because we probably had the closest relationship with him and asked him if he would fill that role, and uh, then Ben and Mary stepping in as, as worship uh, leaders. Yeah, so uh, Andrew was with us until the second anniversary, yeah, um, and that was uh, when he let us know he needed to step back. It had been a, a tough season, I, no. I have no harsh feelings about that at all. That was tough. And so at that time, we all started praying. And and Bo Robson had come and guest preached for us a couple times. We had kind of had some connections through the Robson family. And um, I remember Adam and I, well, we met as a leadership team. We were like, what do do y'all think about asking Bo? Jen, his wife, was very pregnant at the time. So we knew the timing wasn't like perfect. Yeah. Um, but Adam and I took them to lunch. Uh, it was a Atlas January. Yeah. It was right after Christmas at Atlas Pizza. And we ended up sitting in that corner booth for hours, um, just kind of talking about the church, talking about what we were looking for in a pastor and left saying, no pressure, but. If you could let us know in a week, that would be great. <laughs> it turned out he he graciously accepted the job. The next day. He did. He wow. called us back. I think it was really close after that. We filled the pulpit with some guest pastors until after um, Judson was born, yeah. their, their son, because, again, she was about to bust. And so I think he officially joined us Easter Sunday, I want to say, April maybe. And at that time... He and I were in close communication um, talking about, we got to have a building. We really got to have right. a building. Like, what are we going to do? We started really actively pursuing, uh, looking around. Our budget was very little, and um, it was going to be what seemed to be an impossible feat. And through connections through Bo and his grandfather, you know, we toured the building that we were in now. And, um yeah, it's so full circle because, again, that's where we started with yeah. Revolution. Had been through three moves, four moves at that point, and back to the the building where we started it. So I remember we, and at that point, Ben and Mary were moving out of town, and so Malachi was going to come on board at that point. Bo yeah. knew Malachi. And so Easter Sunday was our big launch. We took the Sunday off before and had a literal work day where the entire congregation was there painting and scrubbing floors. I remember Miss Catherine on her hands and knees scrubbing baseboards, um, all trying to prepare for an Easter Sunday launch, which was crazy because it was like two weeks from when we had secured the building. Ken Johnson was there hanging light. It was was insane. I think we uh, 
didn't get the right inspections and things. Like we were just asking for forgiveness rather than permission. But by the grace of the Lord, we launched on Easter Sunday with Bo as the pastor. Yeah. Um, and that launched us into a really beautiful season of growth for the church. Um, he was real passionate about exegetical preaching. We That's when we started preaching book by book through the Bible. And really a lot of theological growth happened in that time. Because mm-hmm. again, we were sort of just care for the people, care for the people. How do we make this work? And he really brought that theology side in for us. Yeah. Um, I think we started to kind of feel like real church at that point under his leadership. Yeah. We, uh, we really grew a lot uh, under his teaching and he really put a lot into his messages and you could tell that. And with the growth from that, it was kind of preparing us for, uh, the next season that we were coming into and, and the growing pains that we we felt during that time was God calling us to a biblical leadership model, God calling us to a more biblical model in general of a church and to the the right way to do the things pertaining to church. And so in that, uh, Bo was with us, what, three years Two or three, two it's or hard three, to remember. COVID three, messed everything up. <laughs> two or three years, and then he, he told us right after COVID hit that he he was just in a place where he needed to take some time and uh, and gather himself and and get focused on, on his family and, yeah. and his personal life. And um, that was kind of tough. You know, we, we felt really – weary about where the church was going to go at that point uh-huh. another one of those crossroad moments we, where were, we just, were just what do we do what do we do and and specifically remember the leadership team meeting again at that moment and going okay guys again if there was ever a time we were going to close like this is the time what does everybody want to do and we left um saying everybody pray and fast and we'll join back on sunday that was a wednesday and we were going to meet back on Sunday and everybody met after Sunday and we literally just went around the room and it was like an echo of everybody had heard the same thing from the Lord. Like we got to try, we got to, we got to persevere, keep yeah. going. And, and that's when the partnership with Chestnut Mountain came, came into the picture. This partnership with Chestnut Mountain Church proved pivotal in the life of City Church. And there was one man at the center of that partnership. This next interview is with Jared Cagle. He is an associate pastor at Chestnut Mountain Church, and he spent two years as interim pastor for City Church. I'm here with Jared Cagle, associate pastor at Chestnut Mountain Church. Could you just introduce yourself? What What do you do for a living? And yeah, where are you coming from? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm a pastor. I'm at Chestnut Mountain, like like Josh said. I carry some different roles as well as a writer. Uh, and a speaker, coach, different things like that. And so excited to be here, excited to be a part of this story and this journey with City Church and Chestnut Mountain and how all this came together and uh, excited, to, excited to tell a little bit of that story. Very cool. Yeah, so we, we just want to talk about your involvement with City Church over the last couple of years and really the, the involvement with Chestnut Mountain Church and the partnership there. Um, so when did you first hear about City Church? Well, so I, I, I had... Let's see. I was a guest preacher in 2016 or 17. 
probably came in as a guest preacher four times or so over those couple of years. Uh, I was close friends with the pastor. Bo Robson was the pastor at that time. And uh, actually, we're related by marriage, so we're yeah. friends, but we're also, you know, some some sort of cousin. And, uh, and so he used to ask me periodically to come preach. So I, I was, that's my first uh, experience with City Church back yeah. then and loved it, loved the people, always seemed to have a connection uh, with the people and, and loved being there. Um, one day I got a call from Bo. This was at the beginning of the pandemic. So what is, what is that? 2020, I guess. Yeah. And, um, he, he called me to really confide in me about some stuff that was going on and wanted to seek my advice and talk through the next steps in this season. We're sitting here talking, Bo and I, and he's asking for advice. And in that same conversation, he was saying, Hey, do you know anybody that it, is that would be a good fit to help lead city church into this next season. And so initially I just started praying about that and started thinking through what that would look like. And honestly had no plan at all to jump in at the level that I eventually did. But as God uh, began to shape my heart and, and, and sort of soften me, I guess, to the idea I uh, asked Pastor Brian Hall here at Chestnut Mountain what he thought of of this and just to be praying and praying for us as we consider how to help them. And he w- he pretty quickly was like, well, why don't we help them? You know, I'm sure there's a way that we could come alongside them and help them. What would that look like? And so I began having conversations with their leadership and, and um, trying to understand who they were and where they were trying to go, what they really needed. And in the beginning, we were just going to come alongside of them and help fill the pulpit, as they say, yeah. just preach on Sundays and, and maybe advise them on the next hire that they were going to make. Mm-hmm. But quickly, that that turned into much more than that. So That's good. Yeah, so uh, one of the questions I had from the very get-go is like, you know, why City Church? Like, why did Chester Mountain choose to come alongside a church like this and— um, or was that was this like the birth of the the vision for the family of churches? Um, like what <laughs> went on to that? Love it. Yeah, great question. So the interesting thing, I think this was, I think obviously, when it when it comes to what God births in us, He's always way ahead of us naturally, right? I mean, it's like we we're just catching up to His vision and and the dream that He put in us, and sometimes it feels like the timing of that is is like you know, on us. But the reality is he had it laid out the whole time. Yeah. And when we look back five, six years ago, I, I can see in the story, he had given Brian and I both a vision for helping other churches in the area. When we right. first started working together here at Chestnut Mountain, when he came and, and we joined together, it was, it, we, we would have conversations about, you know, being a, being a refuge for other churches being a place where we could send, we would train up leaders and send them to other churches. And we didn't know what that meant, but we knew that God had put that in both of our hearts. Yeah. And we, we really didn't do anything with it for a couple of years. And then city church came to us and it was kind of like, and even when they came to us, I didn't put all the pieces together. I was like, all right, I'll pray for who's next for you. Right. You know, I'll come guest preach for you. I'll go, whatever. And, and God was doing so much more in that. And it, it was like he was swinging the door wide open for the vision and the dream that he had given both Brian and I to to go to, for us to walk through that door yeah. uh, and, and see it through. So it's really fascinating, you know. And so then from that, I think the vision began to materialize. Like this is how we could 
come alongside and not overtake a, a community or a church, not merge them into us. Yeah. There are other churches that are doing that, and that's great. That's their vision, not our vision. We're, our vision was to, to continue to, to support them in their autonomy yeah. and with a family or a network of leaders and churches that can come alongside them and support them. Uh, we felt very clearly that that's what, what God was, was leading us to do. And so City Church really was the fruition of that. It, it, yeah. came, it, it became more clear as we began to walk alongside of them. We had a meeting with Brian Hall and Jerry Cagle yep. in, in the front lobby there at City Church. Yeah. And I just cannot forget the emotion that I felt, the the feeling that came from that meeting. Those guys stepping in, particularly Jared, yeah. but Brian too, were just so adamant that what the Lord was doing with City Church wasn't over. Right. And don't worry, we're going to stand right beside you. And, oh, by the way, we don't want to make you Chestnut Mountain Gainesville campus. Right. We want City Church to still stand as a pillar in this community and continue to do the work that City Church does. While City Church is somewhat different than Chestnut Mountain, we're the big C church. And the overwhelming joy that I felt from that conversation still sits with me today brian was very open the whole time he always is he's the most humble leader you'll ever meet he's the most willing and and open-handed leader you'll ever meet with whatever god's calling him to do he's in the answer is yes he says that he says that my my yes is on the table you know and and that's a picture of obedience and it's beautiful i mean he 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 will tell you like he he's the guy that's that's willing and available and will say yes to whatever God's leading him. And then he turns to me to say, Hey Jared, do you think we could figure out how to do that? You know, <laughs> it's like, there's a, there's a strategy and, you know, yeah. in that too. So in, and, and it's cool how that, how that works together. But the initial meetings, it's really interesting when you look back, you know, the leadership team um, was, was made up of actually it, several people had left the leadership team at city church in the recent months, years, and uh, it was kind of dwindled and and not you know not super organized in in a way. Yeah. And so, as we were meeting with them, uh, obviously Taylor and Adam uh, Malachi was also one that was significant in those early conversations to talk about you know hey maybe we need an external advisory board. And so I kind of went along with that, but I was questioning it <laughs> the whole time to be honest. Like I don't know how this is going to work. So, but yeah. they they were a trying to be a part of a church network called the Sojourn Network, which is now, I think, called Harbor Network. And so they connected me with some of their people, and we were talking, and then um, they, they were leading uh, the basically the formation of this advisory council or, yeah. or external advisory board. And it was made up of uh, pastors in the area. There was a pastor from Lakewood. There was a pastor from uh, Sola City was was a part of that. Myself, which from, from Chestnut Mountain, uh, and Adam was a part of that, and then the the representative from a Harbor Network, and that lasted about four or five months. Where and they really helped us consider next steps in yeah. terms of hey, you know, we need a, a leadership, a biblically sound leadership structure in place. We need to begin the process of building that, which does not that doesn't happen overnight. 
And in conjunction with that, we need, we need to establish some level of membership or commitment to one another in the body. We've got to establish that body. And it was interesting because I remember having so many discussions about, you know, because I'm a leadership guy. I'm like, we got to get leadership right. We got to get leadership <laughs> right. We got to get leadership right. And uh, some of the other men on the on the board were pushing on me saying, you know, Jared, you can't do that until you until you really know who the members of the church are, until you know who's committed yeah. and who's in, um, not just somebody who thinks this is cool or is interested. Because the body of Christ, the local uh, expression of the body of Christ is meant to be connected and committed to one another. And that's really a tenant. It's a pillar that you can't remove. Yeah. And so pulling, pulling leaders in when you don't know if they're committed and connected in a part of this body is actually kind of backwards, but you can't, you can't stop developing leaders and looking for leaders. So you got to do them both <laughs> at the same time. It was cool. It was fun to learn that from them and their wisdom mm. But it was about five, maybe six months in when um, everybody was kind of looking around saying, you know, Jared, maybe the best thing for this season and for the next steps is for you to really step in as the interim pastor. We didn't have any idea it was going to evolve into the the partnership that it truly was. We really thought, okay, we are going to shepherd our own people. They're going to fill the pulpit until we can hire a pastor and we're out of this COVID season come to find out that wasn't the best plan. <laughs> Jared sat in, you know, staff meeting with, at that time it was me and Tucker and we brought Marcus on at that point as an associate pastor and really quickly realized once again, this was a hurting church whose pastor had just stepped away and COVID was happening and we really needed uh, a shepherd. We really needed a leader. Yeah. And Jared, by the grace of the Lord, honestly, heeded that call. He said, guys, I don't, I remember him sitting in that meeting saying, I don't think that I can just be here once a month and see this church thrive the way that it can. Uh, how do y'all feel about me being the interim pastor? And of course, at that point, I, you know, crying, jump for joy, because <laughs> obviously I, I love Jared and, um, had seen his leadership already and his vision and uh, just his willingness to do whatever it took to see the body thrive. And so I knew immediately that that was the right next step and confirmed by him saying that. So I think that very next Sunday we announced him as the interim pastor and thus began a two and a half year partnership with Jared. And under his leadership, we established elders. We established a whole new lay leadership model. Um, our church leadership team as it exists today, yeah. several new ministries. Um, I became kids director under that time. Just a lot of really foundational work. A lot of times we would look at each other and be like, man, we're doing this backwards, aren't we? We already got a church and we're going back and writing policy and back and writing bylaws and membership and all kinds of stuff. But man, there's not enough words to really say thank you to Jared. Like that's, he was at two churches at once. We were meeting at 5 PM and, yep. and, and Kaylin, I don't want to leave Kaylin out of the mix because as a sort of pastor wife now, um, I recognize what a sacrifice that was to have Jared be gone early in the morning at Chestnut Mountain. And then again, late at night and to carry yep. the burden of shepherding, two congregations, one of which was 
extremely fragile, volatile, and hurting, man, the the sacrifice just can't be understated. I was totally against that in the beginning. I don't like the interim language. I don't like, you know, and and honestly, my story, if you look back, a lot of my uh, leadership has been jumping in and filling a void or filling a gap in the interim season and then transitioning that to the next person, the next leader. Yeah. And I, I'm getting more okay with that, but <laughs> in the beginning it was like, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be the interim guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they need an interim. I think they need a leader. You know, I think they need somebody that's going to be there committed, but it was clear that that wasn't going to happen overnight. So uh, we jumped into that, and, and at that point, we began the process of rolling off that external advisory board and developing our own from within, yeah. which was made up of elders. And also, I mean, you got to remember, this was in the beginning. This was in COVID, so we we were figuring out how to open back up and figuring out if we're going to live stream and figuring out all this stuff. Like, and at that time, because of my commitment at Chestnut Mountain and my involvement here. Really, the best way for us to have church in person was to do it in the evening. So we started at 5 p.m. when we came back from COVID. And we did that for right at a year um, where we met in the evenings. And it was a good season, but it was it was difficult because it's hard to it's hard to really grow in 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 that time slot in some ways. Um, For example, young families with kids are, are having more of a challenge getting to church, you know, in the evenings than they would in the mm-hmm. mornings. It's out of routine. It's yeah. out of, and we had a lot of people that were coming from, uh, they went to other churches in the morning and then came to city church in the evening. And so sometimes the numbers would be inflated, but they weren't really city church people. It was difficult to see who was members, who was yeah. not. And so we knew we needed to transition that, but it, it was going to mean that I was going to have to make some significant changes uh, my my objective really in the beginning was I'm going to immerse myself in what you do and who you are. Mo- really switch that. Who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Like I need to understand all of this before we start really making drastic changes. And so it took a lot of time. I mean, we did a lot of meetings. We In the beginning, we were meeting in Taylor and Adam's basement or, or in their kitchen uh, and, and their dining room and just – just talking for hours and hours and hours and trying to understand. And, you know, at one point I remember bringing out a whiteboard and it was a little, it was like 12 by 16 little <laughs> kids whiteboard. And I'm trying to draw it and to, you know, show them what I'm hearing them say, and then try to put it into context and, and help us chart the course for the future. But th- those were fun days, you know, right. learning and figuring out, I mean, you can't lead somebody until you find them. You can't, you, you can't, this is one of the biggest problems that we have as leaders is we want to, we see the problem and we want to fix it immediately. You can't do that until you learn who they are because otherwise you're just going to get to running and they're not going to come with you. So you have to find them. You have to know who they are. You have to know where they are and you have to know where they're trying to go. And then you have to help them get sometimes where they're trying to go and where they're supposed to be going, which wasn't really the case uh, at City Church. I mean, what what they wanted and what they were out to do was was very much gospel centered, which was beautiful. And so that alignment was clear. And just how we got to that point was what we had to wrestle with and figure it out. Right. Yeah. And so how did y'all like go about that process of, I guess you can call it revitalization. Mm -hmm. Like what did, what did you identify as like the things that needed to be addressed first? Cause I know, you know, if, if a church is, 
you know, without a pastor, the, the initial need seems like it's finding a senior pastor, but that's my understanding. That's, that's not how you guys went about it. Yeah. So my, my philosophy on that, it's interesting because I've seen it done well on both sides of the equation. You know, I think our knee jerk reaction is always to look for the next leader immediately or go to a branding fix or a marketing like the, you know, it's typical for us to ask the marketing questions or the, the big obvious external focused questions. And, and my philosophy is to get the internal and the structure right. Right. In conjunction with that. Right. It's not either or it's in conjunction with. So we, we, you can't, but, but, but you can't build on If you get too far ahead, building up top above the foundation and you haven't gotten a foundation that's, that's secure and biblical, then it's going to be very difficult to, to have sustainable growth and sustainable change after that. Yeah. So we focused a lot on the, on the foundation, honestly. And, and, you know, the surface level stuff. And when I say surface level marketing, uh, programs, you know, the, worship you know the music the the building the stage the like all the stuff that you see it was honestly it was good it wasn't you know i'm not like trying to overhaul all the things that you see right it was it was the structure underneath it because a church if if it's just let's come and let's let's be fed on a sunday and let's have good worship experience and let's have some good camaraderie you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, that's, that's not enough to really be a church. And yep. we identified that quickly. You know, we have to get back to biblically, what, what does a church look like? What is the body made of? You know, what, how did, how did, how did God institute for his bride to be established and developed? Uh, who are, who are the, the key players to that, right? Who are, where, what are the offices? We need to understand. We need to teach that. You know, I started talking right. about elders and the, and some some of the leadership team was like, I don't think our people understand what that is. I'm like, okay, well, let's do a series on the church and let's teach on it, you know. And so we we began to do those kind of things to help educate and yeah. tried as hard as we could to stay uh, tethered to the Bible in all of that. And and I think I think ultimately um, God was glorified and and He was gracious to to open up ears to hear His word. It's never easy. Church revitalization is never easy. Period. Yeah. But I was I was grateful, and I still am grateful uh, for all the people that I got to do it with and alongside. Uh, some of which you've already interviewed, and some uh, that you may not. This is Marcus Donaldson, lead pastor of City Church. He joined a couple of years ago following COVID, and quickly joined the ministry team as an associate pastor. Originally, my wife Ariel and I are from New Jersey. Joined the army at eighteen. Went to. Fort Campbell, Kentucky, lived in Tennessee. It's right on the border there of Tennessee and Kentucky. So lived there for about seven or so years. Came to, well, it was more like six. Six or so years, came to, uh, you know, got orders to to come to Dahlonega to work as a ranger instructor. Came, uh, the Lord saved me. And, you know, at that point I was pretty content with like, all right, and well, I've already been in for, you know, six or six and a half years at this point. Like the the rest of my time is going to be great. You know, yeah. 20, I retired at 38 and, you know, I'll be making money for the rest of my life. And, you know, then I'll, I'll serve you, Lord. And at that point we were going to a, 
a church in Lula. And, you know, as the, the Lord started to impress on my heart, this is a really Reader's Digest version, real high level, real <laughs> fast pace. Um, but, uh, you know, about a year and a half into being at this church at Lula, you know, I was I was leading a, a small group, leading a Bible study um, and helping out with students when I could. And so, you know, I was wondering what next steps were. I was praying, reading some books and stuff like that. And one day I was like talking to my pastor. I was like, you know, I know this is going to sound stupid, but I, I think the Lord's calling me to, to ministry. Then he was like, I've been waiting for you to say that for a long time, but I didn't want to, you know, force you into it or tell you that. And yeah, make you think that if God wasn't calling it to you, glad that um, we see that. And now he's like, so let's start exploring it. Had some opportunities to preach and teach and everything else. And so I kept, kept on doing that. And it just became more and more clear that, that the Lord was in fact calling me into ministry away from the army, which I at, you know, before loved and enjoyed every minute, every second of it, the good and the bad. Yeah but completely fell out of love with it. And and so I, I got out of the Army in March of 2020, and a few months before that, the youth pastor, youth pastor stepped down, and I became the interim youth pastor. When I got out, uh, they hired me on full-time as the youth pastor and then as the associate pastor. You know, March 2020, it was a weird time anyways. It's like that's a right when COVID hit the U.S. in force and, you know, things were getting really hairy. So it was a weird time, and there was a lot of discussion at the church, and it was controversial and everything else. So anyways, when in May of 2020, Ariel and I, we left the the church there and you know we're looking for a church home looking at some different places online watching their uh, their Sundays and everything else because uh, that's what you did yep. and so we knew I, I knew Jared Cagle and Chase Adams at CMC and so Chase and I we were really good friends uh, his wife Katie and Ariel worked together at the DA's office for a little while and then Chase and I both being from the army, we hit it off immediately and we had been friends for about a year and a half or so yeah. uh, before that. So I was like, let's, let's go to CMC. At least they're in person. So we started coming, uh, found out that Jared was preaching at city church on Sunday evenings and we were used to Sunday evenings anyways. Like mm. that was already our rhythm. So we went to go hear him preach cause I hadn't heard him preach before. And so, you know, we knew some other people there that we had played baseball with or, you know, we just knew from being around the community. So we just kept coming Sunday evenings. And then, you know, Jared uh, knew that I was in seminary at that point and just wanted to see how I could help and get involved in everything else. And it it was an exciting time because that's what really, that's what I got out of the Army to do, not just attend church, not just be a ministry supporter, but to lead right. ministry, to to do the work of the ministry, et cetera. I met him through Chase Adams, who's a pastor at Chestnut Mountain. He's he's uh, taught at City Church a couple of times, I yeah. think. And 
they they were they were good friends through connections with the army and uh they go back pretty far and they've worked together in the past and chase brought him over to the church this is before he and ariel had come to chestnut mountain because they were at another church in in north hall or dillard or somewhere like way north like <laughs> not close to city church not close like way past the bridge you know what i'm saying and uh and he anyway he came and he's he wanted to ask questions about some stuff that we were doing and we had some good conversations about ministry and he was just getting into ministry yeah. uh full time and so from that we you know we kind of struck up a relationship a little bit and then they started coming to Chestnut Mountain and when they started coming here he got really involved with our celebrate recovery ministry yeah. he got really involved with our guest services team and and he started serving in kids as well and, and some different things like that. And, and, every, and every time he was around, I would, I would try to intentionally spend some time with him because I knew, I, I think, I think one of the things that God has gifted me with is to be able to discern who, who can lead and who, who can, you know, who people are and where their gifts are and how yeah. to help them get there. And, and it was pretty obvious in the beginning that he, that, that, that there was anointing on Marcus's life. And so, yeah, that's that's where it kind of began. I just started pouring into him, so spending more time. In the beginning, Chase and I, it was Chase, Marcus, and myself spending some time together. And then I, I started having more conversations one-on-one and trying to understand. I remember we went to uh, lunch one time at, at Panera, and uh, he we were talking about what he, you know, that was the first time where he said, I, f- I feel like the Lord has called me to preach and teach the word. He was very clear about that, and I remember having uh, having some conversations there, and and my eyes being open to how I could help him grow into that, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. I, but I love the relationship between he and I because we're like literally. You want to talk about polar opposite, <laughs> <laughs> and I just love it. Like I, I'm very comfortable being different with other people, you know. <laughs> And uh, he and I, man, it's fun because it's like, he, let's, we'll be talking about something. And he's like, no, I totally disagree with that. You know? <laughs> like, all right, well, let's talk it out, you know. So he's been good. He's been so good for me uh, in sharpening me as well, making me a better leader. When he was here, it was clear to me that there wasn't enough room for him to lead at Chestnut Mountain. When I say here, I mean Chestnut Mountain. Yeah it was clear that he needed to lead and it was, it was clear that we didn't have a great spot for him to lead here. And so I just, I just kept praying about that. Like what God, would you open up a door and would you, would you help him get a spot where he could, where he could step in and really, really lead and really learn and grow um, and, and step into whatever's next. And it, and it, it began to, to become more and more clear to me that we could do, it's at some level have him come alongside me as sort of a right hand associate pastor at city church in that season yeah. because I wasn't receiving anything and we had a little bit of room in the budget. And, and honestly there was, there was a need and the way that we put it out there was Marcus is, has made it clear that, that God has called him to this and this is an avenue for us to help grow him and develop him. We don't know what's next. We don't know where God's going to take him, uh, that we not we're not promised tomorrow and we're not promising anything tomorrow for for him here but we do know that this is a good opportunity for him to learn and for him to serve the body here and help us and so that uh, that was uh, widely accepted and we moved we moved forward with that and yeah. uh, honestly I mean I'll, I'll be transparent like I have 
I have a lot of thoughts all day long about what could happen in the future. Most of them never happen. Most of them aren't going to happen. Uh, but I, I was genuine with we don't know we don't know what's going to happen with him. I mean, I didn't have his course charted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I didn't say like he's going to be lead pastor here. I was hoping that we could get him to the level to become and be a lead pastor somewhere. I was I was hoping that, but I, I certainly wasn't sure where it was going to be. And God continued to provide. Here's the beautiful thing about it: I I still believe that the best transitions from one leader to the next happen in succession rather than hiring from the outside. Yeah. It's not that it doesn't work. You can go hire somebody from the outside and sometimes that works. You know, I, I could name several examples, even in corporate America where they, they went and found the leader that turned them around and really made, you know, made great success for the future. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I do think that uh, there's a lot of data and record to show that when there's succession, when you, when you raise somebody up from within there's there's a greater chance, maybe greater rate of success when that when you have a succession plan, and that was always the way. That's my philosophy. That's how I was going to do it. You know, even if it wasn't Marcus, what I kept communicating is, if we find somebody to be the next leader, there's going to be a ramp. Like there's going to be some time for them to get acclimated to the culture mm-hmm. and understand who we are and what we're doing. And before the, we're not going to thrust somebody into that position before that acclimation has happened and we can uh, have that succession plan. You know, Jared being on staff here at Chestnut Mountain Church and interim at City Church, he had a, a lot to, to deal with every day um, and he needed needed some some help with that like any normal person would. And there are just some things that other people couldn't do. And I just happened to be at the right place, right time. Uh, I was getting paid to go to school, to go to seminary through the uh, GI bill. Um, so I didn't have to work or pursue, you know, full-time employment. So it, it, God lined it up perfectly to where I could come and uh, play an integral role while not really drawing much or any support uh, at the earliest stages, then later not drawing much uh, financial support from the church. But, you know, it was something that God lined up perfectly. Could you explain, like, any of that process of, like, becoming the lead pastor? Um, because, like, I mean, we know that you started preaching probably um, a year before you became the lead pastor. It's like, like why not jump all in at the same time? Well, like, like two years. I started preaching yeah. towards the end of, like, 2018, yeah, 2018, 20, beginning of 2019-ish. I started seminary at Midwestern then too. But anyways, the point being, we we were talking about, so we have a plurality of elders, yeah, right? So Adam, Todd, Jared, and myself. And, you know, we were talking about, hey, do we look, do we start looking for a, another lead pastor? Do we start you know, how do, how do we start transitioning to that next step in the plan, which yeah. is ultimately to get, uh, we focused on membership, eldership, and then that, that next point would be finding a new pastor, et cetera. And so we created a membership process. We created a plurality of elders. And so, you know, step three, start phasing Jared out and, it was the, again, it was the Lord. I don't, I can't take any 
credit for that. I didn't necessarily nominate myself. I'm like, I'll do it. I'll run this team. But it was definitely something that I was interested in and had been praying about. And, and so, again, I was uh, approached with it. And then under that, under Jerry's leadership, the Lord brought Marcus and yep. uh, really raised him up. Adam and I, y'all don't, we're not heathens, but I was texting Adam during service on Sunday, literally just saying, it is incredible to, to hear and sit under Marcus's teaching right now compared to where we've come from. Like right. Marcus has grown in the most amazing ways. It's like watching God just pour into him and seeing the growth happen right in front of our eyes. He was this kind of raw young guy when he first came. And now it's like, that's my pastor. Like it's just a really yeah. incredible thing. And, um, just continual confirmation from God that his hands on city church, that he has plans for his bride and that, you know, he's been faithful through all of those storms. Um, because I would say we're in as healthy of a place as we've ever been. And I'm really excited for the, the next seven years. Yeah. It has been terribly wonderful, terrible in the sense that, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's exhausting it's it's a pain in the butt most days mm -hmm. because we we still have a long way to go as far as like getting on track and continuing momentum moving forward but it's wonderful because what what God did or what he's been doing in the in the first like two or three months is like entirely breaking me from carrying so much on my plate, like yeah. trying to do it all myself or trying to be at all the meetings, trying to do all the things like he's, he's completely broken me of that. And, and really what he's been showing me over the last few months is really not something that I didn't already know, but I, I guess I didn't really see it the way that he wanted me to see it. Yeah. And, it and it's really just do less do less, equip, equip more, equip and empower more. And so really the more and more I learned to do that and, and when to let things go and wait for him to provide the people and the, the situations, et cetera, not trying to force everything myself, the less frustrating, the less terrible it gets. But I, I definitely appreciate that, that process in the first two or three months. Yeah. The hardest part was when Jared and, I were there. There were two people. One to he was really focusing on the preach, and I would preach maybe once every three weeks or so. He would kind of prayerfully consider, and then and then raise, "Hey, what about going this direction for next sermon series, etc." Yeah. But as I started to transition into that role, and then nominated, or I don't know a, a different word, nominated for the role of lead pastor. And we're still kind of in that search for um, an associate type of pastor, but that that was the hardest part was yeah. carrying both of those roles, lead and associate pastor, focusing on on next sermon series or, or, or preaching three times a month while also leading Wednesday night discipleship, while also doing all the you know different meetings throughout the week, while also focusing on security and, and developing what 
the next Wednesday night study is going to look like or this next group and, and all the different things yeah. that that was the the most difficult part but again the 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 best part were the the best part was or is continually seeing people like you come alongside to the team people like Todd and Amy come along to the team Taylor and Adam or not come along to the team in the sense that they're new, but just the the role that he's playing in worship yeah. and production, the role that she's playing with ladies, um, the role that Taylor's playing with kids, the role that Adam plays in just about everything <laughs> yeah. um, from yeah. facilities to membership meetings and interviews and, and production and, and everything in between. Kelly, you know, like there, there are so many people that that that's been the best point is seeing people come alongside to put their hands to the plow, people like Dawson, people like Matthew. I, I could list everybody that's a member of city church and say that, that the members that we have today have all come and said, how can I, how can I help? Yeah. Like, what can I do? God has called me here. He's called me to serve. How can I serve? And if I can do more than serve and maybe lead, then, then I'll do that. Yeah. And, that's been the best part. Yeah, our mission isn't going to change. It's to make mature and send disciples of Christ. And, and and we've already kind of started that in not just what we do on Wednesdays, Sundays, throughout the week as, you know, city church, but with things like Walton Summit, you know, we're looking for those local missions. We're looking to make those those local missions actual local missions, not just, you know, hey, we're helping put clothes on people's backs and food in their mouth or to entertain them, but to to win them to Christ. To continue to expand our influence, our gospel influence in the city and then, you know, the the world to the nations. So uh, that's that's the future. It's 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 accomplishing our mission locally, regionally. And globally, fulfill the Great Commission. That's that's it. You know, there, there's a unique opportunity for City Church because of the location, and and more than the location, honestly, the heart of the people. Because if you look, if you look out at the leadership, the heart of the leadership truly is to reach anybody that comes that's around. Like, yeah. not even comes through the doors. Anybody, like, they, they can come in. It, it, they don't matter where they're coming from. It don't matter how what they just did three hours ago, whether or not they got sleep last night, how how they're looking, how they're like. It don't matter. And you know, I just always felt like that was kind of the culture that was there even before, way before me. Like there, right. there was a sense of, you know, you've been to some churches and people come in and everybody's looking at them like, who's that? It ain't that way at City Church. It never has been. And I didn't change that. That was the way that was when yeah. I got there, way before I got there. And that speaks to the heart of the people and the heart of the leadership that they're they're so willing to serve no matter no matter who's in front of them. Yeah. I mean, Taylor and Adam have a have a truck that's literally sitting there ready to give to people who need it. I mean, I, I've literally I've known them for probably four years and I've seen them give that truck to fifteen different people. Some for six months, some for a week, some for two days, but like giving it to them, you know, serving them whatever they need. That's the heart of the church. That's the heartbeat of everybody to serve and, and, and do whatever needs to be done and love in that way. Yeah. All right. Final question here. 
looking forward at the future of City Church, like what what are you most excited about? What are you excited to see um, in the next few years and even after that? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, from the beginning when when Chestnut Mountain came alongside, I remember Adam and Todd both, Adam Kaziah, Todd Sutherland, two of our elders, before they had become elders, even though they were always going to be because God knew it. But that's another <laughs> story. Uh, they came to me and in, in separately, two different conversations. They came to me and they said, in tears, like we want to, we want to do this for other churches. We want to be what Chester Mountain was to City Church to other churches. Wow. And I know that's Marcus's heart, and I know that's your heart, and I know that's other, you know, inside the church. So that's cool to see. I, I, I hope for that. You know, I want to see the day where City Church can be an extension of the bride in that way and, and extend a hand and support, love, guide, direct care, whatever God's leading them to do for another church, uh, without any strings attached, without expecting anything in return. Yeah. Because I think that's a really good example of coming alongside each other in a world, especially in a church world where there's a lot of competition, like we laying down all that and saying, no, we're on the same team. And we're we don't we don't need anything in return. Yep. I'm I'm hopeful for the day and I'm prayerful about that day when City Church is to a point where they're healthy enough and they have enough leaders to be able to share those leaders and those resources with others. And they actually already have, to be honest with you, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> One thing that has become apparent to me that absolutely was not apparent to me at the time. And that is that God doesn't make mistakes. He he knew Revolution Church was going to be there. He knew City Church Gainesville was going to be uh, See, I did it. He knew <laughs> Mountain Lake Gainesville was going to be there. Yep. He knew the people who were going to come to that first service. He drew us all together. And I'm not going to say the path was easy because it was it was challenging. It was heartbreaking. We were heartbroken. It was very hard, very hard emotionally. Uh, it was even hard physically for yeah. years when we set up and tore down the, the church every single week for right. years. Yeah. But what I have to say about all that is looking back, I'm grateful. Even though it it's not the path I would have chosen because it's not the path of least, of least resistance. Right. But God has gained so much glory and the kingdom has grown because of all of that situation and the way that's gone down and look where we're at now. Now we have a, a full-time pastor mm-hmm. and we have a plurality of elders and yep. our church is growing. And I, I really feel like we're, we're gospel centered and that God is using us to reach our community. Yeah. So at the end of the day, growing, growing pains still help you grow. Through this process, I've sort of seen the other side of church, the messy side, the the business side, the, yeah. you know, there's banking and power bills and, you know, insurance and all of that kind of stuff. And it's easy to get caught up in sort of the politics of church. And for me, God has really taught me we are the church. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the name. It doesn't matter the place we're meeting. It doesn't matter how fancy the building. It doesn't matter if there's no dollars in the bank account or lots of dollars in the bank account. 
we are the church and more than that, he loves his church. There's been so many times where it would have been really easy to get jaded with it all and and to give up. It's just a lot of work. Ministry's hard. Anybody tells you differently, they're not doing ministry. And it would have been really easy for us to to just walk away. And I just am continually reminded that God loves his church and that this was his plan. His plan was through the church. And so, like I said earlier, like we we have to orient our life in that way. Like we have to live our life as the church, serving a local church at all costs. And that's what we've done. And I'm really proud of that, proud of, of our perseverance through that as a family, but also so grateful um, for God's closeness and got his strength to help us persevere through some really dark days and some really beautiful days. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. It's just stay the course, you know, like be the church, be the church and thankful that city church is still around and that we had any small part in the story. I hope that one day she's lived so long that the Kaziah name is nothing because God has used it so faithfully to serve um, our city that it doesn't even matter that we were founders whatever that means you know i'm thankful he's using us in this season as like integral servants but uh, i pray that he continues ministry at city church forever seven years in the life of a church seems like a drop in the bucket compared to some churches There are churches in our community around us that have been around for over 200 years, and it has not been my goal with this project to put City Church on a pedestal over any other particular church. However, I wanted to show the Lord's provision for this particular body. While City Church has not experienced the length of life or the numbers of some other churches, it has still experienced the amazing provision of God. The stories you have heard today are merely the beginning of what could be a long and great life for this local church, as long as the Lord wills for it to be. The story of City Church is as much a story of individuals and families searching for a place to belong as it is about the church's evolution. Each person interviewed has a unique story of how they came to City Church and how God provided a community for them when they needed it. I, for one, am extremely grateful for those that walked the difficult roads before me and that I get to see their amazing example of faithfulness. I'm also extremely excited about the future of this church under the leadership of our elders and lead pastor. And it is my prayer that seven years becomes 200. I want to end with this one verse of encouragement that is true of this local church and every believer in the Big C Church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Finally, I would like to thank everyone who I was able to interview through this process. Kelly Sloan, Taylor and Adam Kaziah, Amy and Todd Sutherland, Marcus Donaldson and Jared Cagle. I know there are so many others who have stories of their own and have played crucial roles in the life of the church to this point. I would love to hear your story and continue this conversation. So if you feel led, you can reach out to joshxrichards at gmail.com. We will be back very soon with more episodes of After the Sermon Ends, but until next time.